and welcome. This is ADHD Wild Women and I'm your host Kat Ellinger. Back after almost half a year of hiatus, which feels simultaneously like a lifetime and six minutes ago. If you have been a regular listener, you will know that in the last episode that I recorded, which was around the winter solstice, so just before Christmas, I was talking about the cyclical nature of the year and how winter to me very much felt like a period of introspection. I had lower energy levels and I tended to use that time to rest, to plan the coming year, to really process things and all of that. I didn't really realise at the time how introspective I would get, but the winter was particularly difficult last year because of the cost of living situation in the UK. I'm a freelancer, so I don't earn a hell of a lot of money, and I was really struggling. So it became very, very stressful. I was constantly overwhelmed. I was in a very chaotic work situation with a particular client that didn't really suit the way that I work, even though I kept asking for, not really asking for anything, but just saying, look, you know, I need to work in a different way. This is the way that I work. And it it was just very stressful, very overwhelming. And by the time I got to the end of January and I was starting to get back on my feet, financially I was just burnt out I was completely burnt out I was feeling very disillusioned I didn't know what the hell I was doing I felt like once again I'd wasted yet another year and I just turned 49 so it's that whole big gonna be 50 next year gotta make it count gotta make it count and I don't know I was just feeling really despondent and really down And I recorded an episode of this podcast in January and I got stuck in, and I guess all of you with ADHD will understand this one, so I'm not going to over explain it, but I got stuck in this loop where to start with, I couldn't finish the episode. I had this kind of paralysis around it. And then I eventually finished the episode by the end of February, even though it had references to the new year in but I'd tack this whole thing on the end and then it gets to the end of March and I still haven't published it because I have this paralysis, this ongoing overwhelm. And and it was that point I thought, just let that episode go. You need to regroup. You need to think about it. One thing that I've learned is if I have a paralysis around something, it's my, I guess, my intuition telling me that something's not quite right and it took me a couple of months to figure this out and my ADHD coach was really helpful in this in providing a sounding board. I realise now that I wasn't being purely authentic and I'm not saying that I was uh let's see how do I explain this I wasn't being fake in any way but A lot of my personal journey with ADHD from early 40s diagnosis to now 
has been a, a very spiritual process. I was skirting around this, so mentioning things like the solstice and just doing it in this kind of castrated way because there's this part of me that is terrified about talking publicly about these things that up until now have been pretty much part of a very inner experience for me, a very personal experience for me. And even as I'm saying this, I'm feeling very self-conscious because there's that worry that people will automatically tune out, think you're going to do the guru thing, think you're going to go off the deep end and start making these bizarre claims. And that's not actually, you know, my, my spiritual path is not actually that is something quite grounded but I noticed I had this absolute reluctance to come out like come out of the broom cupboard come out of the broom cupboard and start talking about these things because it's like anything to do with spirituality or I'm not into religion and I'll go into this but anything around that you, people have a tendency to go oh okay the crazies have arrived and I think the inner conflict was that I wanted to do this project to have a certain connection to other women with ADHD, to really talk about my experiences, to talk about this journey and what's actually helped me within this journey and to pass that on in some way, to find a sense of community. But how can I do that authentically if I've still got part of the mask on? if I can't really come out and say what I mean, if I'm self-censoring, if I'm fannying about just speaking between the lines because I'm terrified that I'm going to get dismissed as a, as a nutcase or a heretic. And it's like, I thought the only way that I can relaunch this is authentically, is if I rip it off like a, like a Band-Aid and just come out and put my cards on the table. So I'm here recording this episode now. I talked about this with my ADHD coach last week. I'm seeing her next week and she gave me a deadline. Like next time we meet, you're going to have published that episode. Just get in there, get your flag in the sand, <laughs> just do it. So here I am doing it, feeling incredibly self-conscious, but also enthusiastic that... I can actually share this stuff. And I totally understand that people want to tune out at this this point. But I think when I started this project, I never wanted to be yet another podcast or website that tells people how to hack their ADHD because I don't want to hack my ADHD. It's complicated. There are parts of my ADHD that I want to channel differently but I am my ADHD. When you think about ADHD, as a, it's just a different operating system. It's like saying, well, you are completely changing your brain to fit in to a certain standard. That's not something I ever wanted to do. I'm not dismissing channels that offer productivity advice and stuff. I run my own business. Obviously, some of that is important but I don't think that should be the only way that we talk about ADHD and one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to talk about the stuff that I don't see people talking about 
because I wanted to start a conversation. And what I need to do is not let my own fear get in the way of that. It comes, I think we all suffer from this, everybody, but ADHD is specifically this notion of potential rejection or ridicule or humiliation. It's such a terrifying thing. If I'm going to live my true self, my authentic self, I can't let that get in the way of get in the way of me saying what I really came here to say. So this episode is going to be a bit longer than usual, but I just wanted to get my cards on the table. So nutty statement number one, I feel like ADHD, as much as it is a problem of disability, a problem of, of brain chemistry, it impacts on us in so many profound ways. I also think there's an element of it that when we're not unmasked, when we are living in this state where we are largely trying to present a, a more acceptable version of ourselves, it also becomes a spiritual problem. So as much as it is a mental problem and a physical problem, and I'm using problem, maybe challenge is 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 a better word for that. I don't really like the word problem. It becomes a problem for us, I think, when we can't be authentic. I think that we live in a culture now that places this huge emphasis on the core sum of ourselves, our value, being do what doing what we do rather than just being. And there's this overemphasis on productivity as if the end goal of all meaning in life is I make, I produce, I sell, I work, therefore I am. And within this realm, we're placed at a huge disadvantage because on one hand, we can be massively productive when we're engaged in something we're deeply passionate about that has another meaning to us. And as I found from painful personal experience, if we're less engaged in an activity, productivity can be like getting blood from a stone. And so that is something that I feel harms us. A lot of us just aren't cut out for a world that focuses on doing rather than being. So as I've said, ADHD is something I never wanted to hack because of the aforementioned. I feel like while a lot of this advice can be useful and I've adopted some of it because for years I couldn't understand why I couldn't like action my goals, my dreams and a lot of that advice has really shone a light on why neurotypical planners and things like that don't work for me. And so whilst it's always a work in progress, it's not perfect, I have made use out of out of that information. But I feel like there's this extreme dominance of that in the ADHD help world. And I'm not saying that that's not useful. It, it completely is. And it's also useful to understand the 
chemical mechanisms at play in our brain it can relieve us a lot you know of something that undiagnosed we don't understand undiagnosed i thought i was stupid i didn't understand why i couldn't do things that were necessary for like just basic human functioning and understanding it in a more biological way really helped me so i'm not denying that there aren't struggles there and it's not a disabling condition you know you can't avoid disability or feeling disabled or feeling at a disadvantage even in a society that's neurotypical and capitalist but what i am saying is we need like another approach one that focuses on being rather than doing because i honestly don't think our core value it lies in what we produce which brings me to my second point and that's that my own diagnosis sparked a spiritual awakening <laughs> it is a it's a weighty thing to say but it's true and if i don't come out and say this then i'm not being authentic i'm not telling the whole story and what I mean by this is after my diagnosis, I started to develop a conscious contact with something bigger than myself. What I mean by this is I didn't find the church. I didn't find any form of organized religion. I wasn't born again. What I found was a purpose, a higher path. And it had always been there. This is the thing. It, it was even there when I was a child unconsciously it would manifest in my relationship with music with art with creativity and even within my sexuality but it took my diagnosis for this like actually becoming conscious of it by dropping my mask and separating what was mine and what was society's and what was universal and therefore divine that's when I really started to see the difference in how I was able to live my life as a woman with ADHD. What I talk about a spirit, so it's like spiritual, not religious, is what people often say, but it's more about a core philosophy to living in a state that goes far beyond material reality. And it's more about having a zest and appreciation for all the magic in life, including that in ourselves. I think one of the most deeply spiritual people I've ever known was a friend of mine who unfortunately died a few years ago, Mike, and he was an atheist, but he saw this divine creative energy in other people and, and things, this sort of innate power that people had that they might not be aware of um he was able to act as a mirror for that so whenever you hung out with mike what you always saw reflected back was your best self it really was a gift he really believed in people he really believed in individuality and innate talent and creativity and all of these things but he was an atheist so when i talk about a spiritual awakening and I do identify as pagan, and that's a very broad umbrella. I'm largely solitary. I have my own esoteric practice. 
I don't really follow anything like the Wiccans or anything like that because being ADHD, it's always about going your own path. But what I mean by a spiritual path is what I believe the psychoanalyst and theorist Carl Gustav Jung called individuation. So it has nothing to do with religion, but it's this way of being fully connected, fully realized, a free creative soul in the world. So that has become my framework really for working on myself for personal development. And it goes beyond this ADHD thing. I just think ADHD gives it an extra level. So really, that's been my my model. And I found Jung a few years ago and started to get into his theory. I'm not going to freak anyone out here by throwing down a bunch of psychoanalytic theory. But Jung wrote about things that I was instinctively and organically doing. So what his work did was gave me, I guess, a framework to understand the mechanisms and also how I might do that in a more conscious, mindful, I know they love the word mindful these days, but mindful way, how I might uh, really channel my efforts on this individuation. And Jung believed that individuation was a natural process, that we all go through it. And it's something that generally happens in the second stage of life, but that certain people get stuck or they have issues that they're not able to get around and so they don't fully realise it. To be individuated is to be your true, authentic self. And I think that is true because the process for me, although I had therapy, it wasn't Jungian. It started through a process really where I was nearly 40, I lost my job. I had a series of miscarriages. So I had what they call in spiritual circles, the dark night of the soul everything I thought I was and everything I thought I knew was kind of taken away from me. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so that really challenged like everything my ego thought about what I was and where I was going was just totally ripped away. When I came out of the other side of that, I started to see things in a very different way. And I'd started to individuate to try and find my higher path, my higher self, my true self, my authentic self. I think we use all these words interchangeably, but they all mean the same thing, to actually be you. It started to happen after that. I started to think, why am I wearing this mask? But I do think it's largely an organic process that happens to a lot of people in middle age. We suddenly start to find joy in the things we knew as a child. We suddenly start to give less fucks about what people think about us. And as we age and as we get older, we acquire this wisdom and confidence to start saying, no, I don't like that. Actually, I'm, I used to like painting as a kid. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do painting. We get this freedom, but some of us get stuck. There's a lot of stuff in the way. And by working in this way, like more mindfully, more consciously, I believe we can get there quicker because I don't want to waste any more time in that before state. In terms of spirituality, though, and I'm going to say something else that might 
register is a bit batshit because I know people are out there talking about the indigo children. I don't know if you've heard about that, but in France, there's like a band of parents and all of their kids were diagnosed with ADHD. And this was a cause of concern because these parents felt that their children were gifted. They were some spiritual beings and they come down from somewhere to save the earth. And society was very like these people have lost the plot you know it's like those ufo people or whatever flat earthers but i was thinking look you know okay it's a little bit out there what they're saying but imagine if you were a kid with adhd and you'd grown up in an environment where you weren't a problem and everything you did was seen as gifted like how different would have that experience have been of adhd that you were told that your ADHD was a gift, not a curse, not something you had to manage or hide, that you were free to just pursue whatever creative or expressive thing that was in your core. You know, is it really that harmful? Is it really that harmful what they're doing? But I do agree with one thing, and I think that people with ADHD are innately more spiritually attuned, even if they don't follow a spiritual path or if they're not even really conscious to that. But I think there's a reason why we have certain traits. We have, a lot of us have this high sensitivity a lot of us have a very broad imagination. A lot of us live within this, I call it my liminal space. It's like this space between dreams and reality where I've never felt fully grounded in the real because you know I'm so absorbed in this more imaginative self. You know, that was my subtype at school. I was the typical dreamer, always daydreaming. You know, I had a very rich inner life as well as an outer life I think we tend to live much more in the unconscious and therefore we're more attuned to messages from that realm and I think we see connections where others don't we have this high sensitivity to our environment and to other people's feelings in general and across the board we have high levels of sensitivity I think a lot of us are motivated to deepen consciousness and understanding of others and the world around us. We're quite often looking for something, a sense of connection, much more than neurotypical people. And so in essence, I think we're hooked into an entirely different frequency. A lot of what we're told about that being wrong isn't. It can actually be a gift if you have somewhere to channel it. I think we find we feel a lot of pain in our souls because it's like Jung said, in order to individuate, you had to understand what was the ego and what was the unconscious. And for Jung, the ego is what he called the persona, and that's the social mask that we wear, which he said was a compromise because it was largely made by and for the benefit of others i mean obviously we need we need the persona because the persona regulates how we interact with the outside world we need to understand social conventions you know 
we, we can't just run around being entirely eccentric unless we want to be cut off from everyday life because everyone thinks we're so nuts that you know they're not going to connect with us but the ego or the persona can get very attached to this ideal that it creates and everything that is rejected in that anything that doesn't fit gets pushed into what Jung called the shadow side and it doesn't go away it's still there but we're not really conscious of it and he said the way that we can see it is generally we project it into other people so anything that really annoys you in other people is generally in your shadow and the process of Jungian analysis is to draw that out but not not to deny it and not even to punish it but to integrate it to accept it to understand it I think it's quite interesting because there are periods in my life when I've been completely asleep and you know the shadow will act out and I I see this a lot with with ADHD as you have and I'll talk about this in a minute but very deep trauma around certain things I you know 10 years ago I would just lash out when triggered by certain things and then I'd be like what the hell is that about that wasn't a Jungian framework my shadow acting out it won't go away what it will do is it will just uh appear unexpectedly and you will think how was that so you know the idea is that you embrace that shadow i do want to get into the persona and especially the way that we mask in further episodes but the reason i bring that up now is in terms of this spiritual sense or this spiritual being is that i think innately neurodivergent people don't wear the persona well that mask never fits for us and we are always at least on some conscious level aware of it we are aware that we are compromising in a way from everything i've read and i've read quite a lot neurotypical people or more typical people can be entirely blind to even the existence of the social mask and I think it's evident how much we're aware of it when you look at the current discussions around neurodiversity. Social masking is, is one of the hot button topics, isn't it? Everybody talks about masking these days. And this is a Jungian, essentially a Jungian concept that we are forced to wear this mask. The mask never fits us. And it damages us on a, a deeply profound soul level I think because as people we need to feel that we are being authentic I think because we are forced to compromise ourselves so much we are forced to hold so much back and regulate so much on a day-to-day -day basis that it becomes heavy on the soul so even when we don't have a particular spiritual path we are very conscious of the needs of the soul and they are very much integrated in us in a way that for a lot of neurotypical people they have to actually do work to become aware of that to integrate it it just is 
part of us and it wears on us until it generally gets to a point when you look at late later stages of diagnosis and a lot of women around my age who came out of the same generation and even before that largely the gen x's but even some of the baby boomer generations that are now getting diagnosed in their 70s is not uncommon now i think it weighs so heavily on us and we live in this very compromised position that becomes more and more painful we eventually snap we eventually burn out we can no longer wear that mask and that's when we get diagnosed that's when it all suddenly starts to make sense and that was very much my experience but i know from talking to others of the same generation it seems to be quite a common experience you know i know it's not the whole experience and people come to diagnosis for various other reasons but i was entirely unconscious of my adhd (laughs) until i was in my 40s and somebody else suggested it to me and before that i did live in this this state where although i didn't know what was wrong that mask felt heavy it felt it became heavier and heavier and heavier and started to drop off when i hit my dark night of the soul i developed a lot of anxiety i became agoraphobic for a couple of years and i look back on that now and it was because i didn't know how to be in the world without this mask but i knew i didn't want to put it back on you know when you take off a pair of shoes that have been hurting you but you've been walking around in them all day or all week or whatever and you just tolerate it and you take them off and you think i would rather walk barefoot than put those back on again it was very much that i just knew i i could not do it another reason why i think that we are innately more spiritual so i've identified as pagan since my teens and that's largely to do with the fact that i fell into the the hippie movement in my teens i live in the southwest of england and so you know we got a stone circle around every corner it was very much part of even growing up where certain pagan traditions had been brought into the more christian celebrations so we did the maypole dance on may day harvest festival was always a huge affair very very pagan and it was just built into local customs that was still thriving at the time so i had this very rich experience growing up of that and it just felt natural but over the years even though i would say i'm a pagan i was more like i guess one of those church people who only really goes to church when there's an emergency and quickly lights a candle and does a prayer and buggers off again you know i was not consistent with my spiritual practice and it was something that also hurt me because i was like why can't i get this together you know i want to be more consistent because my life is generally better when I'm consistent. But again, it came after diagnosis when I started to realize how vital this was to me. After I had this whole awakening process, which, you know, you think, I see some people talk about spiritual awakening, like it's this wonderful thing. They wake up one day and they see the divine in everything and the sun is shining and the butterflies are out. 
And that's great. I'm sure that's the experience for some people. But the more common experience of spiritual awakening usually comes after this awful, terrible episode where you were left so desolate and just needing to... Like, everything is stripped away. And it's then that you start to make this connection with things that feel authentic. They feel real because all the stuff that was fake, that was piled up on you, before and it suddenly gets taken away you realize well that wasn't real you know so what is real I need to find what's real and that was that was definitely my process and I started to read all these books and all these videos and stuff on awakening because I wanted to get a sense of what it meant and I was also in a lot of like emotional pain from what had happened so also I wanted to reconcile with that I wanted the the difficult part over with and the one thing that I found in reading a lot of these books is you quite often get people writing about how they came to quote unquote awaken. It often involves people doing these like ritualistic processes. So, you know, going on a vision quest or uh, doing hours and hours of meditation or fasting or like all of this stuff. And then they write about the after, you know, I was born again and I had these heightened senses and I could hear everything and I could see color differently and blah 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 after reading like a ton of these things I was like but this is my default state <laughs> like I don't need to go on a vision quest to have a heightened sensory experience of the world and to see connection because I've always done that that's just my natural state you know, I think people with ADHD don't need to do 10 hours of meditation on a cliff in Bali or go on a vision quest at some spiritual retreat in the desert to possess what in spiritual circles is seen as a more divine heightened state. We're in a perpetual heightened state. So that did make me laugh. But then it was further compounded by... I read this book and it is a beautiful book. It's beautifully written and it's it's called Courting the Wild Twin. And like Clarissa Pinkola Estes's Women Who Run With The Wolves, and obviously the first episode of this was on that book. It's going to come back again. The wild women thing comes from Estes as well. But Estes's book uses fairy tales, which is a very Jungian thing, to do shadow work to help people find their way to this more conscious state of communicating with the the unconscious and the things that are beyond our immediate capacity that's what it is it's Jungian shadow work it's about Jungian analysis and she uses mythology and fairy tale which is a one of the key things in Jungian analysis and one of the reasons why I love it so much because I'm obsessed with fairy tales but I read this other book called Caught in the Wild Twin and it does pretty much the same thing it uses fairy tales and folklore to make sense of connecting with the wild twin and the wild twin is obviously the higher self the more creative self that can get people into trouble if it's not if it's still unconscious if it's still within the shadow I love the book the prose style was absolutely gorgeous but I came out of that thinking, but I am the wild twin. 
Like, what do you do if it's the other way around? So it was an interesting process and something that I just noted from reading all this stuff and engaging all this stuff for the last several years. With Jung, I've only really started consciously, recently started engaging that. I started shadow work about three years ago. And, you know, Jungian analysis are very expensive. So I actually just bought self-help books to do that but that was an interesting process to me because it revealed so much about why my behaviors were sometimes impulsive and this brings me to I guess my last point and I think the problem with seeing is everything is a symptom of ADHD is that you miss these other connections I think medical and biological grounding is entirely legitimate and as I've said very useful when it comes to thinking in terms of brain chemistry I mean it's been proven scientifically that ADHD brains function differently to neurotypical ones and this is something that can be seen on a brain scan and I'm always grateful for that given the amount of people I seem to engage with in my everyday life that just do the smirk and yeah, okay, that's nice, dear. And you can just tell that they don't think it exists. I'm always like, but it's been proven scientifically. I think the issue is when everything becomes a, a symptom, it therefore becomes something to be managed or treated. And within that, I feel like we miss this opportunity for a greater attunement to our higher selves, to our authentic selves, to our true selves because we are still trying to suppress certain aspects of ourselves we're still trying to fit that mask on we're trying to manage parts of us because they're not acceptable in a, in a wider sphere after my diagnosis i set about researching for years like half a decade what causes adhd what is it what isn't it how the how the brain functions and what might cause what they call symptoms and then it became clear to me it wasn't an entirely helpful approach when it came to the problem of personal development so I stopped trying to hack my ADHD and I changed my perspective on it ADHD is essentially an executive functioning disorder and I hate the word disorder, but within a neurotypical world, it is because there are certain expectations. There's no doubt that we have issues with the way that we process information, with the way that our memory tends to function, our sense of time. And additionally, we struggle to regulate attention. And I've never understood why it's called a deficit because I've got superhuman levels of attention when it comes. But according to the wonderful ADD Attitude site, ADHD brains vary from neurotypical brains because ADHD brains have lower levels of a neurotransmitter called norepinephrine. I hate saying that one, which is also known as noadrenaline. And that is also then linked to lower levels of dopamine. Norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter that produces fight or flight response, whereas dopamine is the thing that helps control the brain's reward and pleasure center. 
and this then impairs the the ADHD brain in what ADD attitudes say four ways. So the frontal cortex, which controls high level functions like attention, executive function and organization. It also affects the limbic system and that's located deeper in the brain and regulates emotion and attention. The basal ganglia, it can uh, cause a problem with interbrain communication and information can short circuit in there, which results in both inattention and impulsivity. And then it also affects the reticular activating system. And again, according to that website, it says this is a major relay system among the many pathways that enter and leave the brain. A deficiency here can cause inattention, impulsivity or hyperactivity. Now, I don't want to shit on people that go the medical route. And I know I have many, many friends who find great relief in medicalizing parts of their brain chemistry that short circuits or bringing up their dopamine levels or whatever. A lot of people can find relief in that. I'm just not one of those people, you know, so I've been, I guess I've had to take a different route into it. But even with medication, a lot of people with ADHD still struggle with these more emotional things, with low self-esteem, with coping with things, you know. So I think it's also important to note that medication isn't isn't this fix-all thing. It's not like a magic pill that will take your ADHD away. Because ADHD is a way of being, you're always going to be ADHD. I think things get a little bit more ambiguous or more complicated say if you see every single thing as a result of a chemical process gets like more ambiguous and complicated around I kind of want to say side issues but they're not really side issues because they can be a major issue but these difficulties that arise within social interaction that are largely guided by things that are seen as uh, emotional deregulation. And through my own spiritual practice and loads and loads of therapy, I started to realize that there was an issue there separating what was mine, what was brain chemistry, and what felt disabling or what was impacting on my self-esteem because of environment, so having to live with the demands of a neurotypical world and certain expectations that were placed on me because of my gender. And what I realised was some of our stuff, quote-unquote, it could be explained by this deep trauma that was operating at an unconscious level. So take, for example, rejection sens sensitivity. Why do we feel profoundly rejected in response to actions from others situations that when you start to consider them on a more logical plane they're not actually that massive not it doesn't make sense the way that we respond to certain things and the medical community are like on the fence you know whether rejection sensitivity is actually a symptom but studies do report that this is a very common experience for people with ADHD. So this is a really good example to use when you think, is rejection sensitivity just a symptom of brain chemistry or is something more at work? Now, why do we continue to feel deeply profound pain 
even when we can recognize that the circumstances where we felt that pain weren't actually as big as the feelings that we have like why do we have such difficulty letting certain things go i'm terrible for ruminating if i think you know somebody is has triggered me in a certain way i'm terrible for ruminating on things and there haven't been that many studies done in this area but it's it is something that we seem to share and i think personally and obviously i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist or whatever but just from experience and just from my therapy that rather than this being a, like a, a natural brain function for us we do carry a lot more complex trauma than others when it comes to things like rejection i think there's a part of us that's severely wounded by the time we get to adulthood because growing up we are constantly reminded that we don't fit in and so it becomes a never-ending cycle projecting old wounds into new situations very much this idea of the Jungian shadow that we act out on that and it feels beyond our control and beyond our comprehension so my own journey became one of this processing like what's mine what's old examining ways in which society boxes us in according to our our status as women the social rules and expectations placed on us and these layers of social con convention stigmatization and how negative experiences that we might not have recognized as such have really impacted in ways that we now continue to project that pain and it's been a process of trying to recognize that which is a difficult process because a lot of it does become unconscious it's too painful for us to actually focus on for me it had to be done largely through therapy in this very safe guided environment because you know all this stuff came up that i just didn't know was there and i have been through like obviously traumatic things domestic violence i'm a survivor of rape you know these awful things and i could recognize those as obvious traumas but not the other stuff it took a long time to get to that point so with all this in mind i want to round out this episode with a with a kind of manifesto and that is that i want to take a more spiritual and youngian approach to living with adhd and i want to communicate that i want to foster community and open a conversation about radical acceptance i want to explore these aspects through this po podcast what's ours what's theirs ways in which we can reach a more integrated authentic version of ourselves where we no longer have to feel too much too little and i think most importantly where we no longer have to feel shame and i spoke in the very first episode as i said of clarissa pinkola estes's women who run with the wolves and the first story in that laloba that was the one that instinctively opened so many doors to me because I was finally able to start dropping the mask, accepting this wilder part of myself, the part of myself that society had tried to 
oppress. So this is a call of the wild to any other woman who feels the same way. I think we are powerful. We carry the spirit of the divine feminine, which is one of the most powerful energies in the whole universe. We carry so many gifts inside us. We're not broken. We may be different, but I think there are advantages to that if we're able to see things as they really are, rather through a lens of symptoms of unresolved trauma through other people's expectations. So for the next few episodes, I'm going to start looking at the persona and certain aspects of societal expectation or social rules that could impact on our sense of self, like our ego, our persona. Things, parts of us that get pushed into the shadow side so that they can run riot and cause us issues with our self-esteem, with our relationships, with our, with our sense of self. I want to look at things like anger as a legitimate emotion, but look at the, the ways in which society doesn't allow us to express that. I want to look at things like beauty standards and diet and all of those things. But I also want to look at the more, rather than a more theoretical sociological approach I think it's important to recognize those systems at play because then we're able to fully separate we're fully able to remove that part of our mask but then I want to look at the more spiritual side of that what ha- what we can do to live a more soulful meaningful life once we're free from that so I hope you will be back to join me next time and Let me know if you've enjoyed the episode. Get in touch. Tell me if any of this resonates with you. Until next time.